right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the very last part of the anniversary special edition of Straight Talking English. I am your host, Catherine, here so fast, gone so soon, better to burn out and fade away when it comes to our anniversary special month. I am STR8 Talk English on Twitter, straighttalkingenglish.com, Patreon, Straight Talking English. And if you look on Amazon, I am the author of the Full Context series. Just look at Full Context and then name the book. And they're really, really good. YouTube, search up Straight Talking English if you want to see my face. Because in addition to planning this anniversary special, I also, my New Year's resolution was to become a YouTuber. So that's happening. All right, our final guest for the anniversary special drops is the fantastic, very clued up, super awesome poet Lola O. That's L-O-L-A space O, as in oh my. She was really, really awesome. And I'm going to tell you the story of why there's a little bit of audio disruption, because we both arranged to meet at a point that was central to both of our houses. And much like when I tried to interview Paul Isles, the first place we picked was so noisy. So we tried somewhere else and I thought it would be really quiet, but it's actually quite noisy. But thanks to the miracle of my new mic, which is actually really, really good, Blue Snowball, if anyone's in the market for one, we get her voice nice and loud and clear hearing what she has to say about the world of poetry. But for some bits, there is a little bit of background disruption and I'm going to say sorry for that in advance. I'm sorry, guys. It was Sunday morning. I was cream crackered. Lola was a professional. I was not. So let's have the lovely Miss Lola O introducing herself. So my name is Lola O. I'm 23. I work as a teacher and a poet at the moment. I've been writing poetry for as long as I can remember. So probably since I was seven or eight. I enjoyed creative writing. When I was younger, I was writing poetry really just because I had more emotions than I knew what to do with. So I'd sit and write. And then as I got older, I learned properly kind of what poetry was and what it meant to me and chose to explore it more. I started going to open mic events and looking at um, spoken word poetry. And the last two, three years for me have been really exploring written poetry, spoken word poetry, and it's kind of really opened the door for me for what poetry is. So what's the importance of poetry for young people, in your opinion? I think poetry should be important to young people because it is a great way of expressing whether it's your feelings, what's going on in your life. It's an amazing way to connect to other people. And essentially, it's like a tiny little story compressed into a page or two as opposed to having to read a five, six hundred word or five, six hundred page novel even. So how exactly do you go about introducing poetry to a class? Uh, it's funny because I'm, I just finished a poetry unit with my year nines. When we first started it, it was moans and groans. Oh, I don't want to do poetry. I started initially by getting them to write something and I did a free write with them. What, what is that? So a free write essentially is where you just, it's almost like a stream of consciousness, you write whatever comes to your mind, um, 
usually use a prompt to start, it might be an image, it might be a phrase, and from that you continue writing, whatever comes into your head you write it down, there isn't a set path you have to take. So I explained that to my students and did it with them, and a lot of them when they finish were like, I miss, I've done it wrong, like, you know, I didn't include X, Y, and Z, and I said that is exactly what a free one is meant to be, and I got maybe like seven or eight students to read it out to the class what they had written based on the one prompt, and one of them had written about a duck in a top hat, someone had written about uh, their granddad in a plane, someone had written about their friends on the street talking to girls, um, and I was just trying to explain to them like that is exactly what it's meant to be, it's whatever comes to your mind. Um, and I think they really enjoyed that exercise because I wasn't looking for a right or wrong answer and I was just showing them the scope of what poetry can be. Obviously, it's not the same as a free write, but in that same way, it isn't a set thing and it doesn't have to be a set thing and there is so much creativity in it. Um, and I think you kind of have to go into poetry with that in mind. You have to, you can't, I think if you go in and you say like, okay, yes, it's going to be a bit boring or yes, maybe you're not going to like it. You set them up to have that expectation. Um, and I think don't, you don't have to just stick to whatever poems you have to teach. I feel like show them spoken word. The kids have shown me this poet, Dot Brown, who has a slang, a slang, po yeah, slang 101. And I'd never seen it before and they loved it. And I thought this is a great way, like they do know poetry actually. It might not be the um, classic type, but they do know it. So, as you guys at home can hear, Lola is so enthusiastic about poetry, and I would have loved to have been in her class when I was a kid. But what about if a teacher isn't feeling confident about teaching poetry, if they don't like it? Is that the reason why young people aren't enjoying poetry as much as they could? I think that can be part of it. Maybe not necessarily always a lack of confidence but I think as a teacher if you don't enjoy whatever it is that you're teaching it's likely that your class is not going to enjoy it either and there are a lot of adults who look at poetry the same way young people do in that it's boring or it's inaccessible or it doesn't relate to them and I think if you're teaching you're coming from that perspective why would your class like it and why would they care so if you've got, oh wait, do you know the GCSE anthology? Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm do, so we're doing Power and Conflict. Yeah. Okay. What do, you, what do you think of the selections of Power and Conflict? Um, I think they have tried to... You don't have to be diplomatic. I think, I think they've tried <laughs> to make it diverse. They've tried to mix in like a range of poets from across the world, different ethnicities. They've tried to include contemporary as well as... Um, not as contemporary poetry I still feel like though it isn't and this is my opinion of just the GCSE spec in general I still don't think it's doing what it could in terms of like the amount of literature and poetry that exists what they come up with as this is the final cut and this is what we want students to look at I don't think it does justice to what is out there in society when I do poems with my class, I start with context, usually, just to give them a, like, a bit of a, a background. And some people prefer to go straight into the poem rather than know about it. I think if context is there, introduce it to, introduce it to them. Um, we were doing kamikaze a few lessons ago, so we watched a documentary about the Japanese kamikaze po uh, pilots. Um, 
and just tr I try and hook them into the poem before we've got to the poem. So when we get to the poem, it's not like, oh, here we go again. You know, we're doing another lesson where we're going to sit and analyse. It's like, oh, okay, this one is about this guy. And this is going to happen. And we're going to see X, Y, and Z. Like, I want them to feel invested in the people, the speakers, the characters within the poem. So would it work if we taught English in conjunction with history as kind of a cross-curricular basket woven of the both subjects? I think so. I think, one, it doesn't hurt because the kids that are studying English are also doing history. Um, and I think it's also a way to introduce topics in history that they might not cover in their history lessons. I think, and I haven't been in a history lesson for a long time, but from when I was in school, I didn't enjoy history because it was very much British history or Western history, and I felt like I couldn't relate to it. And I think through poetry, you can explore other histories that exist but are not taught. So who would you put on the syllabus who wasn't on there already? Oh, um, I'd put Raymond Antrobus on the syllabus. I really like his poetry. Um, I think he's got a poem, it's two hands in the air for, actually no, I'm not going to say the name because I don't know it, but the poem is incredible. I have it printed and stuck up in my classroom wall next to, and under my Goodreads section. Um, and I think he talks about things that tie in with the current political climate in the world, which actually I've learned my students are really interested in. And they really love to get into debates about what's happening in American politics, what's happening in British politics, and they don't really necessarily have the scope to do that. Um, and I think that would be great. I think I'm a bit biased. I'd end up putting my favourite poets in there. Why not? I would put uh, Duffy in there, Caroline Duffy, 100%. Um, I would put poems in also from poets who are my contemporaries, so people like Caleb Femi, people like uh, Mumtaz Murray, like young people who are currently writing about the things they are experiencing that young people growing up in school at the moment can probably find so many crossovers with their own lives. So at this point in our conversation, I was getting really interested in Lola's view on cultural capital, and I just had to ask her about it. Um, I mean, cultural capital has literally become a buzzword in my life. I feel like every two weeks I hear that word. Um, yesterday at the conference we were talking about it. At first, the word, I think the phrase irritates me, but I think the meaning behind it is relevant. And I, the reason I say it is because I notice it in my students. And a lot of the time, I'm, tr I'm trying to push them to give me an answer for something. So let's say we're looking at Lord of the Flies. I give them a quote, we analyze it, I'm asking them for alternative interpretations. They have nothing more to give me because they literally just don't have knowledge of beyond that sphere that they already have. They lack vocabulary with certain things, they lack understanding with certain things. Yesterday at a conference, uh, we were talking about you have to assume a young person knows nothing. You might be talking about a beach. Some children don't even know what that experience is. Someone was saying a woman had done a lesson and the premise was based on a fish counter at Tesco's and the kids at that school did not know what that was. They didn't have a big Tesco's near them, so they had never seen that and so the whole lesson flopped because 
none of them got that reference. And so I think it is important to expose young people to as much as possible. It doesn't have to be cultural capital in terms of like the canon or um, classical works of art, whatever we have defined them as, but I think in terms of experiences and what exists in the world and broadening their horizons is important. I think, I think part of it is mine and other teachers' responsibility as a teacher because whilst it is important to encourage and nurture that desire for them to go out and do it, there's probably a whole host of reasons why they haven't been able to. And so I think like in the ways that I can introduce them to it, I will and I try to and I think it's important to. And I think if you can expose them just to the idea that there's more, whether that's through if you could organise a trip and take them somewhere or letting them know about opportunities they can, whether it's competitions or events or things that they can go to. Hopefully by the time they're old enough where they have a bit more freedom and they are able to earn money and do their own things, they want to go and do it themselves. That, that kind of barrier stays with you. Yeah. Um, I think, because similarly to you, there's definitely spaces I have been in where I felt uncomfortable. I felt like I shouldn't be here. And in fact, I was talking to a colleague because she's just turned 20 or not yet turned 20. And we, were, we were just even having a conversation about Harrods. And she was like, will I be allowed to go in there? Will they let me in? And I was like, yeah, of course. But then I remember when I was younger, I thought, no, there's no way I could go in. They wouldn't let me in. And it is something that becomes ingrained with you, within you. I think you're right in the sense it's hard, it's really hard because essentially you're having to alter somebody's state of mind, which technically I have no control over. Um, I think if you can find ways to create a sense of maybe authorship isn't the right word, but a sense of a sense of self in 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 the in relation to these spaces of that it is completely okay for us to inhabit these spaces and perhaps then by giving them this cultural capital this knowledge of you know also these classical things they feel equipped to go into these spaces and not question am i okay being here is it appropriate do I belong? But just saying, like, I do have... Even if I'm not coming from the same group of life, it's okay. So, at that point, as you guys may have noticed as well, Lola is blessed with the finest of all accents. That is, the South London accent. And some of the schools I've worked in have been really keen for people with pronounced accents, be it South London, Scottish, whatever to soften their accents and move to a sort of RP, you know, the radio announcer voice from the 1950s. And, as I said, Lola is in possession of the finest accent of all time, so I want to know what she makes of this. What's your vibe? I don't think it's necessary nor beneficial to try and eradicate the natural 
the way someone has grown up speaking or the way they've been taught to speak. I do understand that the school system is a system. It is a game in some sense. There's certain hoops you have to jump through and I think it's important to teach young people that it's systematic and to survive it there are certain things you have to do but I don't think that should come at the expense of them. I think code switching is more important. Um, I ranted about this podcast <laughs> before. Can you define and tell the people in case they haven't listened to me? Okay, so code switching essentially is just like being able to switch or alter your speech or the phrases you use depending on the environment you're in. So if you go into an interview you know that typically they're expecting a certain the certain certain kind of mannerisms or they wouldn't expect you to use slang as they often tell young people you know don't go to interview and use slang whereas when you're with your friends it's okay and you can use it and the ability to be able to do both is essentially what code switching is and i think young people i think that's very important for them it shouldn't be you need to stop using these phrases or these words because it's also it's not it's not necessary there's there is beauty in the ability to create entirely new words <laughs> with like new purposes and definitions and use them in a space and everyone can like understand what you're saying I think there's something so beautiful in that you can have a group a group of young people in fact in that free writing exercise I did one of my boys um, wrote this entire piece and if I'm honest when he read it out I did not know what he was talking about but the whole class was laughing because they got it and I was like that is actually so cool it wasn't for me it was for him and his peers and they got it and like it, it doesn't matter if I got it or not because they did and it seemed like in this interview, I was asking all the deep, deep questions. So let's have another one then. How do we get young people to read? To do it. That is a question that I am also trying to answer with a lot of my classes. Um, a lot of the young people I work with grew up in a household not surrounded by books. They weren't read to, they didn't read. And actually a lot of the time, and I realise I do this myself, sometimes reading is used as a punishment. Oh, if you don't behave, we're going to spend this lesson reading in silence. Oh, that sounds lovely. To me, that's a, that is a dream. But for them, it's like, it, this, the association they make is like, oh, when we're naughty, yeah. the consequence of that is reading. Therefore, reading is punishment. Reading is not fun. Um, and I think when you've had 10... 12, 15 years of creating that association in your mind, it becomes quite hard to break. And I always say, when they're like, oh, I don't like reading, I'm like, oh, you just haven't found the right book yet. Which perhaps is true, but also is probably not that helpful for them in terms of, okay, I haven't found the right book, but still, what do I do next? Um, One of my classes, they're quite low ability, they hate reading, they don't have the attention span to sit and read for long periods of time. We're doing a group reading exercise with them where we, we're all reading the same book and we take it in turns to read it and we do activities based on um, the book that we're doing. Diary of Wimpy Kid, which they love. <laughs> they absolutely love the new one that's come out. Um, and that's what, watching them, because um, I've got a TA that helps me and she was the one that came up with the, these ideas. And she was reading the book and watching them all in rapture, just as she read, was amazing. It was like the quietest the class has ever been for an extended period of time. 
And I was like, oh, okay, like they can, they can do this. And I think it's finding those ways. Sometimes it's not, it won't be reading in a conventional, conventional way. Sometimes, you know, maybe you have to read to them and find and bring that book to life. I had another boy who was reading a book in the library and he just, he didn't enjoy it. So I sat and read to him for a little bit. And I was like, you know, when I read a book, I try and I picture it. And it's almost like a film to me. And he was like, how do you do that? So I was reading sections to him and then I was describing it to him. So I imagine, I was like, the guy, this guy, he's probably as tall as a door. And he looked up to the door and I'm like, yeah, imagine he's that tall. And this is happening, the TV falls. So imagine now the TV's on the floor and just walking through the text like that with him. I think it's, it's hard to inspire that love. As someone who loves reading, it's kind of like, how can you not love it? But I have to understand that some people don't and they don't come from that background. But I think it, you can work on it. So yet another big question. Do we need more diversity in YA literature and children's writing? Is that perhaps a barrier that's preventing our young people from being great readers? Um, I definitely think there's truth in that. Even one of my... So the main demographic of my school is white working class. And... There's a book in the library called The Gun, and there's a student in my class who hates reading, but he read this book, and the kids in the book, um, they use a lot of slang. They're always hanging out with each other. They go to the chicken shop frequently, and he read it, and he was like, Miss, I speak just like this. He was like, this is exactly how I speak. And that was the first time I had seen him actually engage with a text and read it and take something from it. And I think, representation is really important I think yes for kids of ethnic minorities but also beyond that for working class kids for students with um, learning needs for students from single parent families I, I think it, it's a really broad yeah, spectrum yeah and I think I think when you do find that it, something sparks when you see someone who's living a life very similar to you and they're in a book um, I almost see that as like scaffolding so when someone is struggling with something you give them an age you give them a sense of a scaffold to help support them get on their way and over time you remove that scaffold and I think if your child is reading David Walliams and they love David Walliams that's a great place to start because reading David Walliams is better than not reading at all and I think it's over time you push in a slightly different direction or you advance onto other texts and that's how you foster kind of the growth and the love of it. I don't think you need to start your child on Dickens or even, it doesn't even have to be someone like Mallory Blackman, it doesn't have to be something that you deem or society is deemed as a text of a certain calibre. I think if they're reading, that's a starting point. It doesn't have to then, you know, hopefully, well, not, maybe not, well, hopefully, yeah, they're not 33 and only still reading David Williams. <laughs> hopefully they can, yeah, because <laughs> that is then slightly problematic, but, you know, that's, it's a starting point.
All right, well, I'm really, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did, because it was an absolute pleasure. I am very, very grateful to Lola for meeting me on this noisy Sunday morning and answering my increasingly difficult questions. The place to get in touch with Lola, if you like the cut of her jib, is on Instagram. If you look for Dan... Damilola O, and I'm trying to get that right, Damilola O, you will find her, and get in touch, she is a fantastic poet, professional, and individual. As this is the last bit of my anniversary bonus content, I'm going to do my little Oscars speech, I would like to say thank you to all the poets who have taken their time to come and chat to me and considering as I'm like some fat cockney random who just emails people I am really really grateful that they decided to give me some time I actually want to say a massive massive thanks to uh, you guys my audience this whole project started off as a rant I was having to my boyfriend about why I had to use classroom language when talking to my students and I said why can't I just talk to them straight and then this kind of this whole project just spiralled out of there so I really really thank you really really thank you oh I'm welling up it's like some Halle Berry Oscar speech right I start crying and I really just want to say thanks for you guys for sticking by me and wanting to listen to what I do and what I say I want to say, obviously, a massive thanks to my voice actors I've got in on this system, system, on this season. Oh no, the emotions are taking me over. Yeah, all right, I'm just going to say bye now, because clearly I'm fudging my words. Right, thank you very, very, very much. Normal Drops will continue on Fridays for our magnificent regular season four str 8 English, straighttalkingenglish.com, Amazon, the full context, find my stuff, sort, search out a uh, full context and then the name of the book, YouTube, search up Straight Talking English, my context series is growing every day, and of course Patreon slash Straight Talking English, if you would like to donate to the show, there are perks, and it's just a nice little way of making me feel appreciated. Right, thank you very much, guys. I will see you on the other side.